thinking about this week as preparing for this message on being a team player, what it, really mean, what it would really mean if everyone at K2 only thought about themselves, just what they would get out of it or what they would reap from the message or from what's going on here. I thought, we wouldn't have a church. We wouldn't even exist if everyone showed up and just thought about themselves. So it's very cool. Um, team sports are always fun. Most of you have probably been on a team. Recently, my five-year-old, when she was four, was on a soccer team. Any of you watch four-year-olds play soccer? It's uh, quite amusing, actually. I don't think they get the team sport part of the game. Um, but they do like to run around in little, we call them like little beehives, you know? They like, they run in packs, they follow the ball wherever the ball's going, and they don't really care which goal they kick it in as long as they kick it in the goal, right? You know, they're like, get the ball, and all the parents are like, no, Johnny, the other way! And he's like, oh, I gotta kick a goal! And he does, and he goes, yeah! And all the kids go, yeah! And no matter what team they're on, they're like, oh, so cool! We actually were sitting there, it was indoor soccer, so they have these little wood, like, gates around, and we're looking, where's, where's Mia? And we're like looking and we're looking. And she's over there in the corner. She's got a boy pinned against the wall. Not as a defensive move, but she was just giving him a big hug. <laughs> Team sport. For the last few weeks, we've been in a message series. Yuck. Hope that can go away soon. All right, we've been in a message series called Getting Ready for God to Move. And we've been looking at the book of, of Joshua, and the story of Joshua happened 3,300 years ago. That's a long time ago, but as I've been reading it again, the inspiration that comes from this and the lessons that we can learn from what happened in this time. So I'm going to give you the fastest lesson on the history of Israel up till uh, Joshua that you've ever had before, okay? You guys ready for this? I want to see your pen smoking, okay? All right, here we go. It all started with a guy named Jacob, and uh, Jacob followed God, he loved God, and God said, I'm going to change your name, I'm going to change your name to Israel. So his name was now Israel, so it was actually a person that started this. Then Israel had 12 sons, and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Got it so far? Now, one of his youngest sons, Joseph, his other 11 brothers didn't like him very much, so they sold him as a slave, and he ended up in Egypt serving as a slave. But God's favor was on Joseph. He loved God, and so uh, God raised him up. He became second in command only to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Meanwhile, his 11 brothers were over uh, in the promised land area, and there was a famine in the land, and they were hungry. They were out of food. So Israel sends his 11 sons over to get food. They find Joseph. They get reunited. Israel moves. The brothers move. And Pharaoh loves Joseph so much that he gives, gives away part of the land of Egypt to Israel and his 12 sons. And over generations, Israel grows, and it grows almost to a million people. Generations have passed, and now a new king raises up in Egypt. He doesn't know anything about Joseph. He doesn't know how he served the Egyptian people or the world around him. 
So he sees an opportunity that this, this nation of Israel that's right there in their country, he, he enslaves them and makes them slaves of Egypt. And for 400 years, now that's a long time, 400 years, they became slaves of the king of Egypt until God raised up a man named Moses. Now I'm going to catch you up, and in our anniversary service, uh, Dave talked about Moses and the burning bush, you remember all that stuff? And he said, here am I, send me. And so he went and he led the children of Israel out of Egypt towards the land that God had promised them. They travel, they get to the east side of the Jordan River. Not the one in West Jordan, South Jordan. The one over in Israel, okay? They get to the east side of the Jordan River and they look out over the promised land, this land that God has promised them. They're looking at it. And they see these mighty armies and these great nations and all these people that really hate them and hate God. And they're like, we're too small. We are too small to take this land. And they tell Moses, no, we refuse. We will not go in. This makes God really angry. After all, he has promised this land to them. If he promised it, he's going to deliver. But since they don't want to go in, he says, you're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until all your, all your adult males die off. You're going to wander around. And Moses, you're going to get to lead these people around the wilderness for 40 years. So that's what they do. They wander around the wilderness for 40 years. They get back to the east side of the Jordan River, and they're looking at the promised land 40 years later, ready to take it again. At this time, Moses dies. He was only 120 years old, so I think his time was up. He dies, and Joshua is the second in command, and Joshua is raised up. So we take you back two weeks ago when, when we talked about how God came and appeared to Joshua after Moses had died and said, okay, you're the man now. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. And then, as we talked about last week, God says, but don't forget, every day, make sure that my word is in you every day and that you follow completely everything I have told you to do. Make sure you're obedient to that. And make sure you only worship me, the one true God. So this is where we pick up the story today. And before we go into it, we're going to show you a map. I'm going to be Professor Dave today, okay? All right, we got this map up here. For those of you who, you know, don't know east from west or you're, you're just kind of geographically not quite sure where Israel is, Israel is right here next to Australia. Okay. Nice map. Okay. All right. No, this is just a little box that's cut out that goes right to there. And Israel is right on the uh, eastern side of, this is the Mediterranean Sea. You can see it, a little bit of Italy here. So strategically, Israel is right here at the crux of the nations of the world. And this is where God wants to move, and he's going to establish his people, Israel, there. Just to the south is Egypt and all of Africa. Just to the east is all of Asia. Just to the north is all of Europe, where all the people of the world were living at the time. And God wanted to share his love with the people of the world. And he starts right here in this little strip of land in Israel. 
We're going to go on to the next map that gives us a little closer up on Israel. And, and this is important for where we're going today. So don't think I'm just trying to show my academic muscles because I don't have any of those. Okay, here we go. So here's the Dead Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. You heard about that. And from the Sea of Galilee, this river runs right here. Are you watching the little pink dot? All right, here we go. This is the Jordan River. And this is the promised land over on the, on the west side of the Jordan River, going up to the Mediterranean Sea. This is the promised land that, got, that we have been talking about these last few weeks, on the west side of the Jordan River. But there was three tribes that came from the three brothers. There's Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. And they asked Moses for permission to settle on the east side of the Jordan River and not to go over because they didn't want to go over to the promised land that God had given. They asked Moses permission if they could settle over here. Is everyone clear? We're going to have a quiz on the 12 tribes of Israel at the end of the service, okay? Just kidding, okay. So, see those guys, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben? It's all about them today is what we're talking about. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1 and read um, what it says there. But before we do, I'm going to ask you a question. So you got to pay close attention, okay? You can't fall asleep or anything like that, all right? Pay close attention. I'm going to ask you a question. Was Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, were these three tribes team players in Israel? Were they team players? You don't know yet. You don't know the answer yet because we haven't read this. But were they team players? Let's take a look. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 10. And it'll be up on the screen, or if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's fine with me as well. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell all the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go and take possession of the land the Lord is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go and occupy your land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua. This is Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Whatever you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord, your God, be with you, like you, like he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against you, your word, and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, we will put them to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
So let me ask you, were these guys team players? Do you think they were on board with the mission? Absolutely. They were team players. I mean, they were down to the fact that saying, hey, Joshua, if someone doesn't obey you, just let us know. Well, we'll get rid of them, you know? We'll kill them. Wow, these guys were some tough guys. But um, as you may learn from being in one of my messages, it was a trick question. It was. Because if you go back one year from what, when Joshua was saying this to them, if you go back one year, it was a totally different story. You see, a year earlier, all the 12 tribes got to the east bank of the Jordan River, right? And they were supposed to go over and cross over together, right? All of them supposed to go over, cross into the promised land together. And Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they began talking and they began looking on the east side going, hey, this looks pretty good. Kind of like this. You can see my little cabin up there on the hill, yeah? You can see my sheep on those hills. And they started looking at the east side. But they were all supposed to cross over to the west side. They began looking on the east side going, this looks pretty good. I think we'll take it. So they went to ask permission of Moses if they could have the land on the east side. Now, imagine Moses' response to these guys. Now, I have led these people for 40 years. I'm sure he was having flashbacks of 40 years earlier when the people said, ah, we don't want to go over that side. We want to stay over here. And he was having flashbacks. And you can look it up in Numbers 32, but I'm just going to read this. Here is Moses' response to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Here's what he said. Verse, seven, verse 14 of Numbers 32. Here you are, you brood of sinners. Nice name, huh? Here you are, you brood of sinners, standing in the place of your father and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will leave all this people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. Nice, huh? He was very upset. We're in Numbers 32. Hey, congratulations, we made it. Okay, you will be the cause of their destruction. Basically, in our language, he was saying, you jerks. You jerks. I've led this people all these years. 40 years we wasted our time sitting out in the wilderness doing nothing. And we get back here ready to take God's land, ready to go on the mission God has for us, and you want to stay on this side? Are you kidding me? You're going to be the cause of every single person's destruction. God's going to not even give us another chance. He gave us one. He's not going to give us another one. We're going to end up back in the desert. We're all going to die out there. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. But Reuben, Gad, and, and Manasseh, they had already thought this through, okay? So, which is really cool, because they said, okay, listen to this. In verse 17, 
It says, they said, we are ready to arm ourselves. We're ready to go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and our children will live in fortified cities for the protection of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received their inheritance. Basically, they were saying, we've got to go. And we're not only going to go with you, we're going to go ahead of you. That's how much we're committed to you, Israel. Then Moses said to them, okay, if. Now, this is the biggest word in the Bible. Did you know that? The shortest word and the biggest word, if. If you will do this, and if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out all of his enemies before him, and then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. But, that's the second biggest word in the Bible, but, verse 23, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And be sure, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for you women and children, pens for your flocks, but do what you have promised. Do what you have promised. Moses had a change of heart, which was good for them. And so a year goes by, and during this year that went by, Moses dies. They promised it to Moses, right? They could have said, ah, we promised it to Moses, but, uh, you know, maybe we won't go with them. I mean, we've already established our cities. We've already built our hammocks. We're ready to rest. But they didn't do it. They decided we are going to keep our promise because it's not only a promise to Moses. It was a promise to our brothers that we would be beside them, that we would fight along with them, that we would do what we said we would do. And then back to Joshua chapter one. How do you think Joshua felt? Seriously, how do you think he felt when he heard the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? Joshua, wherever, whatever you command us to do, we'll do. And wherever you send us to go, we'll go. Joshua, may the Lord be with you like he was with Moses. Come on, we're encouraging him. So be strong and courageous, and we'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Oh, how do you think that made Joshua feel? Oh, he must have been going, yeah, all right. I was a little worried about these guys. They kind of flaked out and stayed on the east side, but now I know for sure these guys are on the team. They are doing what they said they would do. Uh, at the beginning of the service, we did one of those Simple Mind songs, Don't You Forget About Me. So I got to tell you, can I tell you guys all a secret? You won't? Okay, yes. I guess yes. Okay. If you miss the first five minutes of any service, you're missing the very best part. I'm just telling you, we do something really fun and funky and cool up here the first five minutes. So if you came late today, 
You just missed out, I'm telling you. So I'm going to have to recreate the moment, okay? All right? You guys remember this song from the 80s? Don't you forget about me. Don't, 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 don't. You like that? Yeah, you like that? Rain keep falling, rain keep falling down, down. You guys remember that song? Uh, but that, that song, Brad did a much better job, I gotta, I gotta tell you. But um, that song is about a guy who's trying to get an attention of a girl. And he's like, hey, you know, here I am. What's she, what's she gonna do? Is she, is she gonna call my name? <laughs> or is she just gonna walk on by? You know, is she going to notice me? Is she going to, is she going to do that? And it's kind of a real selfish song, isn't it? Like, don't forget about me. It's all about me. Don't forget about me. Hey, over here. Hey, whoa. Yeah. But when you think about Joshua and when he is standing before the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh, I know they're weird names, but when he's standing before these guys, he says, hey man, don't forget about us. We're preparing for something that God is going to do. And I don't want you to miss out on what God's going to ha- do. So guys, I got to know if you're on the team. I got to know if you're with me. And as we're talking about this today and as, as we're uh, looking at this and what this means to K2, it's like, man, are we on the team? Am I on the team? Am I on the right team? There's a, there's a guy, his name is Trevor Wicker, and you've probably never heard of Trevor Wicker before. But Trevor Wicker is six foot three, 280 pound right guard for the Mesa State College in Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, so you're saying, so what, right? <laughs> so what? Well, there's a story about him on the ESPN online news, and what happened to him not too long ago was that they were having this really important practice. And as they were practicing, he went and he caught his pinky in another person's jersey, you know? And he, he caught it, and it broke his pinky, and his bone was kind of sticking out like this, right? Now, this guy's a total team player, because here's what he does. He goes up to the coach and says, hey, coach, tape it up. I got to get back to practice. The coach took one look at that, and he says, no way. You're going to the hospital. You got a bone sticking out of your finger. So... He goes to the hospital, and they go to the ER, and, and they look at it, and they evaluate it, and the doctor says, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to stick some pins in your bones to set them in place, and we're going to, you know, rework the ligaments so they're all working okay, and um, it should be good to go in about four months. And he looked at the doctor. He said, what are you talking about? This is my senior year. I'm on the football team at my college. I don't have four months to waste. The doctors are like, well, you can't play with pins in your fingers. He goes, then, then you're going to have to cut it off. And the doctor says, can't cut it. He goes, get a bone saw, cut it off. So you know what the doctor did? They cut off his pinky. They cut it off. Stitched him up and sent him away. Amazing. So he gets back and he shares his story. And then these other players that have injuries are like, thanks a lot for making us look like wusses. <laughs> you know. 
But now that now every time he does something good, they all give him a high four. You know? I love the quote from his fiance. So they've quoted his fiance in the article, and she says, Well, of all the body parts they could have cut off, I guess this one wasn't so bad. <laughs> and then she said this. She said, I'm so proud of him because I see what he has sacrificed for his team. And I know that in our future, he'd be willing to sacrifice for me. And that's a very cool story. It just happened. And uh, as of last week, um, Mesa State College football team was 5-0 and under the inspiration of Trevor Wicker, a guy we've never heard of at a college we've never heard of. But what an inspiration he was to his teammates. I'll tell you about someone else that you've never met too. She was a woman on our church planting team when we were in Denver. Her name is Eleanor Ramos. She was five foot nothing, 50-ish fireball Hispanic woman, okay? I don't know if you ever met one of these, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I was afraid, very afraid. But she was part of our church planting team. And when we would do some outreaches, we, would, we were in a little community center off Colfax Avenue in Denver, Colorado, probably a really rough part of town uh, for some of you guys to think about that. Maybe you've been there. And we would do outreaches. We would invite our neighbors in, and a lot of them didn't have anything. So we would gather clothes, and we would gather food. And Eleanor was always the first to jump in. She was a team player. She would go to all her neighbors and have them empty their closets. And it was very cool because you were afraid of her because if, if you would give her the garbage out of your closets, no, she would, no, 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 no. you give your best stuff. So she would bring all this really nice clothes from her neighborhood and she would wash them and she would press them. She would load them in her car. She would bring them to the church. She would distribute them to the people at our outreaches. And then when I would speak, a lot of people in the, in the crowd were Spanish-speaking only, so she would interpret in Spanish for me, and we made a great team. And she was so incredible. She worked harder than anyone else, and she was there, the first there to arrive, the last to go home. And there's something I didn't know when we first started out in ministry there, was that Eleanor had been fighting colon cancer for a couple years now. She was doing okay, but here's what she said to me. She said, Pastor, everyone else called me Dave. She called me Pastor. Pastor, you're not going to put me on the sidelines, are you? I'm like, no, Eleanor, I won't put you on the sidelines. You know, just because I have cancer, you won't put me on the sidelines, will you? No, Eleanor, I promise I, I won't put you on the sidelines. And over time, we ministered together. She became part of our teaching team, and she would get up, and she would just inspire everyone every week. She was leading our prayer ministry and she would pray over people and people would be healed and people would be set free from addictions. It was an amazing time ministering alongside of Eleanor Ramos. But she would always say, Pastor, you won't put me on the sidelines, will you? Like, no, Eleanor, I promise I won't. But then we got news that the cancer had struck again, and there was a pretty large tumor growing inside of her. And I remember sitting in her hospital room with her. I remember the doctor coming in just before the surgery. And we were the only two in the room. And the doctor said, 
Eleanor, now this is a pretty sizable tumor, and this is really an exploratory surgery. We're, we're not going to probably take it out, and, and we're just going to go in and look and see how bad this thing is. So we're like, okay. So she went into surgery. She came back. And then I, was, I got the privilege of being there. When the doctor came back, he goes, I can't believe it. We went in there. We took it right out. We didn't think we were going to take it out, but it just kind of came out real easy. So we're like, yeah, all right. And so it didn't take her long to recuperate, get back. She didn't want to be put on the sidelines ever, so she was there all the time, even if she just only could encourage us. We were back, and we were doing outreaches, and more and more people were coming. Over 500 people would show up because they needed groceries, and they needed food, and they needed someone to just love on them. And that's what Eleanor did every single time. But six months went by, and we got more bad news again. The cancer's back. And this time, it spread to other parts of her body. It was rough, but different people in our church, now that they've gotten to know Eleanor, they would daily take her to her chemo or her radiation treatments. And every one of them would say, we were there to encourage her and, and bring her there and to be with her. But by the end of the treatment, she was encouraging me. She was encouraging us. That's just how Eleanor was. She was all about us and not about herself. And she was on our, our teaching rotation, and, and she was on for May 21st. I remember this date clearly, May 21st. And she said, Pastor, you're not going to cancel me, are you? You're not, you're not going to put me on the sidelines. And I said, no, no, Eleanor, I'm not going to cancel you. I'm not going to put you on the sidelines. But she was getting sicker and sicker. The radiation, the chemo, you could see it on her face. It looked like her face was just burned from this stuff. And she was getting sicker and sicker. And a week before Easter, she had a stroke. And the whole left side of her, her body went numb. And we're like, oh, Lord, help us here. You know, this woman prays for people to be healed. And, and, and they get healed. And yet, why is this happening to her? She comes in, and she can only talk with half her mouth. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who's had a stroke. But she's like, Pastor, I got a message for this church, you know. You're not going to put me on the sidelines, are you? No, Eleanor, I'm not going to put you on the sidelines. Now, May 21st, I'm on. I have a message. And over the next few weeks, actually all the symptoms of her stroke went away, miraculously. And on May 21st, she came and walked into church. Now, she walked a little slower than she normally walked, and, and she wasn't strong enough to stand the whole time, so we got her a stool, and she put up her notes and got out her Bible and just shared an inspirational message. I will never forget. She was talking about uh, Paul and Silas who were, uh, their account is in the book of Acts, but they were these two missionaries that were just preaching about Jesus and, and, and just trying to reach the world for Christ. And they were arrested and they were beaten and they were thrown into a dungeon the bottom of a jail, they were chained up, and it was midnight, and it was dark, and they were surrounded by rats, and there was, they were surrounded by human waste, and here they were in the smelly, stinky rat hole, and what did they do? 
they began to worship God at midnight. The Bible says that they began to worship him. And when they worshiped him and focused on him, all of a sudden an earthquake came and the walls of the prison fell down and Paul and Silas miraculously were set free from that prison. And then she looked at us, each of us, and she said this. So what are you going to do in your midnight hour? What are you going to do when life is rough? When you feel like you're at the bottom? When everything's dark? What are you going to do? And she said, I don't know what you're going to do. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship my God. I'm going to worship my God. Wow. If church could be like that every week, oh, oh, that'd be awesome. And everyone just walked out of there just so encouraged. But three days later, I got a call from Eleanor's husband. And he said, Eleanor's had a massive seizure. She's in the ER. So I got in my car, went to the ER, saw her there. She was very alert. She's looking around. She's trying to talk, but verbally she couldn't get any words out of her mouth. So um, she could, but she was talking to me through her eyes. And I was looking at her in the eyes, and I was just trying to encourage her and pray for her. Now, two weeks earlier, I got to back up, two weeks earlier, our youth pastor and his wife got the most devastating news any parent could ever hear. Their daughter had been feeling ill, and so they ran some blood tests. And two weeks earlier, the doctor said, your daughter has pre-leukemia cells in her blood. And the chances pretty much are that she is going to develop leukemia. And she's just three years old. So our church, we began to pray. But Eleanor prayed. She prayed. You ever known someone who could pray like that? Just like, ah, you know, they get all, I mean, Eleanor would just, she was intent on praying. She would pray all day. She would pray all night. I don't know if that woman ever slept. She would pray. And I was holding her hand there in the, in the emergency room. I said, I got to tell you something, Eleanor. They retested Morgan's blood. And last night, the doctors called Steve and Alicia. And they said, we're totally baffled. We don't understand. We've never seen this before, but she doesn't have any leukemia cells. She was totally healed. No leukemia cells. They're all gone. And I said, Eleanor, isn't that great news? I could see her in her eyes, knowing that she had prayed this girl through. And that night, Eleanor closed her eyes. She went to sleep. And for the next four days, she just slept. And our church just kept vigil on her 24 hours a day. Somebody from our church was by her bedside, lining the halls. The hospital had never seen anything like it. And we were just there, and we were praying, and we were ministering to her family, her sisters and her niece, and, and we were just praying for them and praying for her. 
And then on Sunday morning, while a lot of us were at the church, at the community center, setting up chairs and setting up sound equipment and doing all the stuff that church planners do, um, about 9.30, Eleanor took her last breath. And she was gone. And we all knew why she chose that day and that time, because she didn't want to be late for church. <laughs> it was true. And I think about it. I think about it now. What happened in that church after that? There was really no room for excuses anymore. You know? The excuse of, oh, my feet are tired. I can't do this. Oh, I had a long night last night. I can't do it. When people, people who knew Eleanor Ramos looked at her and said, if she can do that, I can do anything. Seriously, my life isn't that bad. I've never met a team player like Eleanor Ramos. So imagine, so imagine if, if K2 the church, if here at K2 the church, every single person that walked through our doors, every single person thought about others instead of themselves. And a lot of people do that here. I'm going to ask the band to come up and share a few more things with you. I get the privilege of leading one of the best teams at K2 The Church, Adventure Canyon team. Any shout-outs for Adventure Canyon? All right. It's an amazing team. You guys all sit in here, kid-free environment right here, right? Well, it takes about 200 different individuals every single month to make sure that our kids get loved on, that they get God's word in them, that they know that God loves them, and that they know people care about them, and that they're having a whole lot of fun while you guys are in here having to listen to me, right? It takes adults, we have teenagers, we have students, and we even have kids that serve in Adventure Canyon, and it is so much fun, and the kids enjoy it, and here's how I know they enjoy it. I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I've just got to tell you what I've been hearing. Randomly, Parents have been coming up to me and saying, you got to do something about this, Dave. My kids ask me every day if tomorrow is the day they get to go to Adventure Canyon. <laughs> it's only Monday. One family has actually adopted an Adventure Canyon countdown calendar <laughs> so that on Monday they can say, hey, kids, look, there's still six days left to all Adventure Canyon, Okay. How exciting is it for me? How encouraging is it for me to know? And it's not because of me. It's because of the hundreds of volunteers and team members that work together to make sure that your kids and the kids of Adventure Canyon and the kids of this community can come in and really hear the truth of God. There's lots of, lots of teams here, lots of team members that are sitting in this room. I see you guys. You're part of the team. And for you, I just want to say thank you, okay? Thank you. You don't hear it all the time, and sometimes you might have a bad day while you're serving, and you guys, you give up your time. You don't get paid. We don't put out checks or anything. I mean, you give of your time. This band here, they show up about 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. How many of you are up for that? Yikes. Not me. 
I don't have to show up till way later than that. I mean, you're the people who sweep our floors and vacuum our floors. You're the people who play the drums or, or mix the music or run the lights or hug our little babies, round up our third and fourth graders, you know, minister to our fifth and sixth graders, minister to our youth. You're the people who give up your Monday nights for those squirrely middle schoolers. The people who give up your Tuesday nights for those questioning high schoolers who give up your Wednesday nights to lead a crash course, who give up nights and days during your week to lead a small group so that people can, can come to know Christ. You're the people who clean our bathrooms. You're the people who go down to the rescue mission and, and love on those guys who are trying to turn their lives around. You're the, guys that, you're the people who go over to the Dream Center and, and, and tutor these kids. That's who you are. And I want to say, as one of the pastors here at K2 The Church, thank you for doing that. You make K2 a better place. You make this church a better place. You make this world a better place. Because you're part of the team. And you're like Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, whoever those guys are, you're just like them and say, we must go and do whatever God is asking us to do. And here's the question. What is it that God is asking you to do today? Maybe he's been asking you for a long time and you've been going, I don't really want to do that. Can I have a different mission, please? And, but what is God asking you to do? For some of you, it may be, compassion ministry and say, I must go to the poor. Some of you may be at Venture K, I must go to the children. Some of you may be youth, I must go to the youth. I must go to the Dream Center. I must go on this missions trip to Honduras. I must go and do the thing that God is asking me to do. I must go. Every single person in this place has a call of God on their life. I believe it. The question is, are we going to follow it? And many of us have made promises to God and say, God, okay, I will do it. Here I am, send me. I'm making a promise to you. Oh, so here it is. Are we going to keep that promise to God? Are we going to do what God is asking us to do? Do what God is calling us to do. Are we ready? Are we going to go? And I, want to, I believe that for many of you, the answer is yes, we must go. Brad? Lead us in this new song, We Must Go.